You're listening to Why We Do What We Do. All right, welcome to Why We Do What We Do. I am your very common host, Abraham. And I am your mostly logical co-host, Shane. How you doing, man? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing all right. If you are joining us for the very first time, welcome. And this is a psychology-ish podcast. I mean, it's a psychology podcast. We yeah. just we, we tackle super random stuff and we do it through as scientific a lens as possible and make it easy to listen to. And uh, we try and have fun. Yeah. And also, Happy New Year. It's 2021 if you're listening oh, yeah. to this. So that's kind of a fun thing. Yeah. Thank you for reminding me. Yeah. We, uh, we just had a new year. I hope everyone's new year was safe and enjoyable and you didn't catch or spread covid you know what's interesting is that as podcast recorders as we go and for folks that don't kind of know the logistics of this we tend to record the episodes ahead of time so we're celebrating the new year well in advance of the new year it's just a very strange thing to say like happy new year and we haven't even gotten through christmas yet you gave it away this is the big secret we didn't record this day before releasing it (laughs) oh man the industry secrets like that's what happens oh you just pulled the curtain back it's very um wizard of oz yeah now you know how the sausage is made can't listen anymore yep sorry (laughs) sorry but you should have known because that is common sense you know (laughs) (laughs) And that is the purpose of today's episode. We are going to talk about common sense, which I have said more than once in my life. It's not a flower that grows in everybody's garden. And I think that over the election cycle and everything that we've watched over the last couple of years, you will kind of agree that maybe common sense is not so common. You know, common sense would be a good name for like a potpourri. (laughs) Let's claim this now. We're going to start selling why we do what we do. Common sense potpourri. I feel like the company that came up with potpourri really hit the nail on the head. Like they cornered the market and and it works so well. So that's a fair point. Also, I'm pretty sure that someone has tried to name some kind of good smelling product common sense at some point. Oh, absolutely. I'm nevertheless going to trademark it here. And then if there's some (laughs) some way to, to build on that later, we will, but probably not. It's timestamped now, so it's it's forever. See, when it's locked in podcast land, you can't take it. That idea is now ours. That's it. <laughs> That's how that works. All right. We actually do have kind of an intro, though, so let, let's do that really quick. Yeah. So in 2011, IBM's Watson, an artificial intelligence computer, competed on Jeopardy, which was one of the strangest things that I've ever seen. But I remember I remember watching that, but it was really kind of cool. I never watched it. I've always wanted to. Do you think it's on YouTube? It's got to be. I mean, especially like nine years ago, this is this is definitely up there somewhere. Okay. I'm going to look this up after this episode. Well, wait. I mean, I guess it's 10 years now that we're in 2021. Good catch. Good catch. Yeah, I know. I'm, this whole time thing is really messing me up. Now, one of the questions that Watson got correct was an interesting one, and it was under the category of Lincoln blogs. And the answer was, Treasury Secretary Chase just submitted this for the third time. Guess what, pal? This time, I'm accepting it. So then the correct answer, or I guess question... That is the answer, because it's in the form of a question. That was confusing. Watson correctly said, quote, what is resignation, end quote. But what's worth considering here is, did Watson know the history of Lincoln? I mean, maybe, but it's also likely that this machine applied some, quote unquote, common sense, that it understood some rules of the English language and was able to produce a plausible answer based on clues in the words, such as Lincoln, Chase, submitted and accepting so a lot of big hints that it was probably leaning on and speaking of this kind of idea of like the rules of english language the same question was given to children to see what they would say and their number one answer was what is a friend request (laughs) which is pretty great it speaks a lot to the idea of like what's in the zeitgeist you know 
Yeah. What is a TikTok? You know, I'm still trying to figure that out. I'm 34 and I have no idea. Yeah. Age it is so fleeting. It's like we're right in the know for like one hour and then you age out of it. And it just cycles people through. I wonder if kids are back on Live Journal. <laughs> Probably not. I wonder if that's going to come back around. Or seen a resurgence of Netscape users. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so many CJB.net websites and Angel Fire websites now. Awesome. <laughs> Go back to Friendster. <laughs> so essentially, a goal of artificial intelligence is to try and teach a computer to use and apply this sort of concept of common sense. But we have to ask the question, what is common sense? And essentially what common sense is, it's pretty easy to agree on a definition of common sense because most definitions we looked up were pretty similar. Like it included sound judgment and practical matters, the basic level of practical knowledge and judgment that we all need to help us live in a reasonable and safe way, or a basic understanding of how the world works. Now, I mean, knowing us, you know that we have picked apart these definitions quite a bit, so that's not going to be a spoiler for you, but there's a problem here, and we have to kind of look at that with these definitions. I think colloquially, too, we often use common sense when we're saying that someone lacks common sense, and we're usually pointing at them doing something that we think of as being probably kind of stupid. And so, you know, insert joke here about disliked politician and their lack of common sense whenever they make some kind of mistake or whatever, or favorite political pundit. <laughs> I think that that is just how we tend to approach these. It's sort of like, oh, this is just common sense. Why don't you know this? Or why would you make that mistake? And it's sort of, it's belittling someone's intelligence and their basic value as like a contributor to society. And ultimately the problem is, is that people from different backgrounds or different walks of life, actually, when we talk about common sense, they have different definitions and different understandings of real world problems. And so they're going to start to apply those experiences to those real world problems. And it may be different than what maybe the majority of people experience. Uh, and you'll see what we mean as we kind of go through this is that common sense is something that it seems to be based on personal viewpoints and personal experiences and personal learning histories. So you might have people who have these opposing viewpoints that are then arguing from what they believe is a position of common sense. So as I understand and believe that mustard is one of the best condiments and Shane is just super anti mustard, won't even put it in his hair as shampoo. Mm -hmm. And we firmly disagree with that <laughs> with this. So even though we think we have common sense perspectives, we arrive at opposite conclusions, which is that mustard is good and should be on everything or mustard is bad and should be banished from the planet. And that's funny because that's actually a real argument. Yeah. I sort of just pulled that, <laughs> that little nugget of information from like a conversation from super long ago that we had. <laughs> oh, oh, we should have, we should do an episode on condiments and just rank them and mustard will always be the worst for me. So <laughs> if, we, if we had to agree, it lands at like exactly number five out of 10. That's how it would balance out. So when we kind of look at this though, there are a couple statements that we have to be able to kind of present to look at what might be common sense. So, you know, things like lemons are sour. Most people would probably agree that lemons are sour, but there might be someone out there who doesn't really agree with that. That's kind of a common sense in your sense of taste. For the most part, but if you have COVID, lemons are not sour. Lemons are nothing. <laughs> lemons are just water at that point. This was a really crazy thing. And sorry about the side note, but I watched this this person like actually test this with like the no taste, like the no sense of taste when they had COVID. Yeah. And they drank soda, water, milk, pickle juice, and all of them tasted like water to them. Wow. No facial expressions, no change, no like nothing, like all literally every one of them tasted like water to them. It was really bizarre to watch it. I feel like they have like different viscosities. I feel like you'd be able to tell just from that, that 
they were different things. <sighs> yeah. it's, all the world is mad. <laughs> I would want to try like the world's hottest pepper and see, because I might have a, a chemical reaction that's not even one that's taste, but it's like, oh, there's a physical sensation of my tongue on fire. Yeah, this is painful. <laughs> <laughs> right. I can't taste it, but it really hurts. Another piece of common sense that I think you might hear is something like exercise is the best way to stay healthy. I mean, I feel like that's informed by science. I mean, not the maybe not the best way, but one of the best ways. Yeah, and you'll see that sometimes too with common sense statements. They are they do tend to be some somewhat informed by science, but you'll see kind of how maybe that can be misleading. So, but other things too, like be kind to everybody. That seems to be like a common sense like social trait or social expectation, but doesn't seem to kind of stick, right? Yeah. Another common one, I think, is play dead as if a bear is chasing you. <laughs> yeah, we're going to revisit this one for yeah. sure. I mean, that's sort of like on The Revenant. I've never seen The Revenant, but I hear oh. there's a really pretty grisly attack on it. Yeah, he did play dead for a minute. I suppose he did survive, so I guess there's that, but it was not great for him. But <laughs> that should be a recommendation at some point down the road. Another piece of common sense is using your turn signal when you're changing lanes or turning or like maybe saying excuse me when you burp i think if you are a highly skilled baker then you might have common sense with respect to how long you need dough to get the kind of texture you want it to have or how long it needs to rise but if you ever watch the great british baking show then you know that that's not a real thing common sense is not a real thing because everybody messes up their stuff yes and that's actually why i mentioned it is because just finished binging that so anyway moving great on. Show. it was so much fun this show is so much fun oh my god so when we kind of talk about this and the idea of common sense, we like to always kind of explore a little bit the history of where this stuff comes from. And we are going to go all the way back to Socrates, Plate, and Aristotle. <laughs> Aristotle? Uh, yes, it's Socrates. It's Socrates, but I just love Bill and Ted so much. Yeah. It's Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. So <laughs> the idea here, the concept of common sense has its roots in Greek philosophy. And a lot of work was written on these themes. Like you'll see a lot of discussions on that. And the following is a very, very, very brief abbreviated version because these dudes talked about a lot of stuff. And actually, instead, we're going to read all of it at length and in its entirety in this episode. <laughs> No, obviously, we're going to summarize it. This is a philosophy podcast now, and so we're going to read all of their work, starting with, we're going to read Plato Republic. We're going to start there. Okay. Or Nicomachean Ethics. We'll start somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> Perfect. So, yes, common sense tells you we're going to abbreviate this because that's what we're talking <laughs> about is common sense. Anyway, there's this idea of something called the cold wind argument, and cold wind is not a metaphor for common sense. What it actually has to do with, and this is an argument that was that was considered by many of the prominent Greek philosophers is this idea that if a wind is cold to the one who feels the wind, then they feel cold. But if there is one who does not feel cold, then the wind is warm. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. So like one person feels the wind and it's cold. One person feels it and they're not cold. They're, they feel it warm. Yeah, basically different perspectives. Even though you have the exact same event happen, two people perceive it in different ways. Right. And so Socrates actually pondered this problem and its implications. And it's a good question because you can kind of apply it to a couple different things. Like how can hot sauce be unbearable to the one who feels pain while eating it, but enjoyable to somebody else? Can hot sauce be both terrible and delicious? And I'm going to go on record and say, yes, yes, it can. <laughs> if you get a chance to have the hot ones last dab, it's delicious. It hurts like hell, but it's delicious. Yes, yeah, I was going to say, as one who loves hot sauce, I can say that, yes, it can be both terrible and delicious. <laughs> My threshold, I think, is, is fairly high for 
an American at least. For somebody with a, such a delicate palate. So what what's another good question we can think about to try and find, think of this conundrum? How can the band 311 both be enjoyable by some while others feel like their ears are being sawed off while listening? Can 311 <laughs> be talented and terrible? I'm going to go on record and say yes. The self-titled record and Transistor are great records. Ember is the color of your energy, Shane. <laughs> <laughs> and that is a spoiler for our episode on Auras. <laughs> So this idea that the wind could be both simultaneously cold and warm is, of course, a contradiction. And so Socrates decided it was less logical to argue about the physical properties of the wind and to be more concerned then with the person within the context of the argument and how that person was perceiving the wind, as I'd mentioned earlier. Right. And so Plato pointed out that if this argument is indeed correct and knowledge could be both true and at the same time, not true, basically being true for one person, but also being contradictory to the actual physical properties of it, depending on who's interpreting it. Mustard. Right. Exactly. Mustard is this argument. The argument itself was subject to the same scrutiny. So stay with us here. If it is true that, quote, things can be both true and not true, end quote, then that argument could be true or not true. And this is it sounds totally like uh, the stoner from Cabin in the Woods, but absolutely, <laughs> this is one of those things that when you start kind of getting into this discussion, it's true for the people that experience this or maybe perceive this, but it might not be the truth. To say this another way, just to make sure that I feel like that this was followed well, I'm going to use something called an anti-metabole kind of, but it is both true and not true that statements can be both true and not true. <laughs> My mind is blown. Okay. Put down the bong. Moving on. <laughs> Let's talk about Plato a little bit more. So in his dialogue, Theaetetus, he suggested that senses work together in conjunction with it, the individual's soul as one sense or sort of their consciousness, if you will. And this is influenced by experience and education. And thus, humans will perceive things differently. So we say that we hear with our ears, which means that our ears do the hearing, but Plato decided it was more correct to say that hearing occurs by means of the ears and our soul or consciousness or whatever you want to call it uses the, the ears as a tool to perceive the world around us. Right. And so Aristotle continued this conversation and argued senses might be integrated by a single common sense, which is regulated by a sense organ. And he made this case for the heart being that organ. So pretty interesting, like that they get into this kind of like, I love the the philosophy around this because it's like totally not. <laughs> what we understand of the world today. But it's interesting that these were the questions that they were having. So Aristotelian writings are often attributed as the first usage of the term common sense, though. And you start seeing this discussion around the idea of what is common, like a, a common experience or a common interpretation of the world around us. I have two things. First, I think it's Aristotelian. Aristotelian, okay. <laughs> and two is I, I think there's some logic for making the case that the heart is the sense organ because if you lose your heart, then you will no longer have common sense or any sense. <laughs> that's fair. I'll give you that. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, a, that's a hell of an argument. Cause, effect, boom. <laughs> argument boom, one. Baby. That's how they do it in ancient Greece. <laughs> I love it. Speaking of which, let's move forward <laughs> to Rene Descartes. And so philosophies by Rene Descartes often referred to as Cartesian. Cartesian writings expanded upon Aristotelian or Aristotle's views. That was my very pedantic and erudite way of talking about that. <laughs> Sorry. With one interesting deviation, and that is that Descartes talked about this quote-unquote census communis, which is Aristotle's single common sense with which we perceive things. 
But he also spoke of bon sens, which is French for good sense. And good sense, he wrote, is something that is common to all people and is their ability to judge truth from error. Yeah. So each person, according to Descartes, had an equal amount of good sense bestowed upon them by nature, but the people use the sense in different ways. So we focus our attention on different objects and conduct our thoughts along different ways. And thus, even though we have good sense, we apply it differently. And I think this is, you'll start to see kind of how this shapes up in a real world situation as well. Those old white guys and their good sense. I guess that's my question. Who gets good sense? Does everybody get good sense? What happens to the people that didn't get good sense? How is it bestowed upon somebody at birth? You have to impress the gods somehow. That's it. As an infant. Babies are impressive. Hercules was a pretty impressive baby. Yeah, he was a very impressive baby. That's fair. (laughs) Probably so was the Flash, you know? There's a couple impressive babies out there. That's right. All right. So today the phrase common sense gets tossed around a lot. As we've already said that people sort of use this term willy nilly, often in a somewhat pejorative way because they're describing a lack of common sense on somebody else. Although I suppose it's not necessarily uncommon to say that's just good common sense. I don't think I've ever heard anyone say it, but maybe that's out there. Anyway, I'm getting off topic here. Most people do agree (laughs) that experience, in addition to genetic physiological, cultural, psychological, and contextual variables determines what we believe to be sort of the right and wrong thing to do, enabling us to make judgments we perceive as being sound judgments. Right. So then that begs the question, can we even really rely on our common sense since everybody's experiences are so variable or they're so different? Because the idea of common sense, it implies that it is a common understanding or a common perception of the world around us. And so if it's common, that means that the majority of people will have that experience. But, you know, if everybody's experience is so different, if everybody, they perceive things differently. I mean, I think of, we talked about colorblindness before and the idea of like how our perception of color might be different. And so just thinking of that perspective, like that's the question I have is like, how can common sense be common if it's so variable, but there is this idea of the wisdom of crowds and the wisdom of crowds is, is a really interesting way to look at how common sense might kind of manifest. So in 1906, Francis Galton, and I believe this is the Sir Francis Galton, who, if I'm remembering correctly, was the cousin of Darwin and was a very outspoken eugenicist, racist, and uh, if I remember correctly, coined the term nature versus nurture specifically to favor nature was his sort of argument there. Yeah. Not someone we would want to revere, but anyway, he pitched a challenge to a crowd of attendees at a fair. And so uh, he had some sort of a carnival Barker voice. Step right up here. Step right up. Guess the weight of this ox and win a prize. All right. So let me guess that this ox weighs 715 pounds. That's a good guess. I, would if I saw a real ox not knowing what the actual answer is, since we're reading the notes here, I would probably guess that an ox would be close to two thousand pounds. That would be my first guess. I would just look at the ox and compare it to myself and try and see how how different are we, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would be like, how many oxes are Shanes? How many Shanes are oxes? How like I would want to see that and see what that looks like. How many Abrahams equals one ox? <laughs> I like that. <laughs> <laughs> how many Abra- If if I were to do how many uh, how many Shanes equal one ox, it would be. Six. <laughs> if my math is correct. Yeah, yeah. Thinking about the Tootsie Pop commercial where it's like one, two, three licks. And I'm like, how, how many Abrahams is an ox? One, two, <laughs> three Abrahams. 
Ah, ah, ah. Oh wait, no, that's the count. We're talking about different, very different things. I, I remember the, I remember the owl. Unless that was a different commercial. Unless that didn't exist in our timeline. <laughs> uh oh, Mandela effect. <laughs> it's back. Not in 2021. We gotta get. We can't. We can't have the Mandela effect in 2021. We can't do this. Escape. What's the correct answer? How much does this ox weigh? So the correct answer was 1,198 pounds. Wow, I was way off. Yeah, I was too. I was. I think we were off a, by about the same or close to it. Oh yeah, good point. No, you <laughs> yeah. were closer. Oh, okay. So yeah, I was a little under. You were a little over. Was I closer? Because I was like over a thousand pounds off. I was eight hundred pounds off. Yeah. No, you weren't over a thousand pounds off. You were four five hundred pounds off. I was eight hundred pounds off. I can math. <laughs> <laughs> we're scientists. We're not mathematicians. Okay, folks. So Galton analyzed over 800 guesses submitted and discovered that the mean weight guessed was about 1,197 pounds, which is one pound off from the actual (laughs) accurate guess, which is pretty good. And the median guess was 1,207 pounds. So people tended to veer just a little bit over and then some people a little bit under, but impressive nonetheless. Yeah, especially like, you know, out of 800 guesses, that's a, that's a pretty good deal. Now, you have to kind of account for a couple things, though, when you do this as far as like kind of scientific inquiry. This made sense for some of the attendees, right? There were butchers and farmers among the crowd, but many attendees were just average Joes who wouldn't have much experience with oxen in general. So that kind of lends itself to a different maybe set of questions or a different analysis. And and the suggestion is that a combined consensus from a large number of subjects can often predict with slightly higher probability than a small sample of experts, so long as those experts are part of the large sample size. So and this finding can be repeated multiple times. James Surowiecki. That's how I'd read it. I, I'd say James Surowiecki writes in 2004 that similar methods can predict with high probability predictions such as currency trends, election results, government decisions, and all kinds of things. It's interesting to see rights as like a present tense verb and then followed by a 2004. And then I just imagine this person stuck in like a time loop in 2004, just writing this over and over again. Like the movie, The Endless. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Great movie, by the way. So hopefully I didn't spoil that, which I'm sure that I did. So anyway, Surawiecki, he noted a few factors must be present to determine the likelihood of a quote-unquote wise crowd. And one of those is that diversity is key. So if you have a high variability of backgrounds, education, professions, including but not limited to experts in a given area of interest then that is going to be one important variable in predicting whether or not the crowd will accurately make a guesstimation. Yeah. And also the other factor here is independence, right? So if anyone knows what the other is guessing, the sampling is no longer blind or without bias. And so basically if you have a crowd of people that are kind of talking to each other about this thing, then that's that's going to skew or influence the results of the crowd. So a wise crowd has to be independent of one another. Those guesses have to be independent of one another. All right. So now it's not to say that crowds are always right. In fact, any one of us could find a Facebook group full of incorrect crowds of hundreds of thousands (laughs) of people that are out there for sure. Yep. And people who form little Twitter militias and whatever that new one parlor, I think, is called. Mm -hmm. One thing I learned about parlor is you have to give your social security number to even sign up for it. Oh, wow. For a group of people that are like big on like privacy and like privatization and stuff and like uh, in, in protecting their information, they have to give up a lot of information to sign up for that thing. Good Lord. That is also that is frightening. Something I learned about the agreements for Parler. One of the really interesting things is like users of Parler will be responsible for any legal fees that come up as a result of Parler. Wow. That is dangerous. That is a dangerous thing to sign up for. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
PSA on Parler. Okay, so <laughs> this is an excuse to ignore professional consensus. However, said Facebook groups are rarely, if ever, a random sampling of the population. They're full of people with similar interests, backgrounds, experiences, and cultures. It would be like instead of asking a crowd, you walked into a butcher's shop to ask them, or you walked into a, a kindergarten and ask all the kindergarten children to make that guess. They'd be like, 20 pounds? Uh huh. And that's where diversity is key, right? Like if you're kind of like talking in like an echo chamber, then you're never going to get the different guesses or like you're always going to get the same guess because it's just a homogenous sample. Right. So another way to think about common sense that I think is really important is really digging into what do we mean and what's going on when we say common sense? What is this thing? And common sense, as we sort of described already, this is acting without really thinking. And that's because it's, it's common sense. The point is you don't have to think. You might even hear someone say something like, you shouldn't have to think about it or look it up. It's common sense, right? Like that's sort of the attitude that people often bring to it of like, yeah, why are you trying to find out? Like everybody knows it's just common sense. So let's do the opposite of that and think about this and really dig into what this means here, because common sense is essentially relying on whatever your base reaction to something is without additional information. Going back to this idea of the crowd guessing the weight and that sort of thing is that they're not looking it up. They're just whatever skills or or thoughts they bring to this that they already have. They just apply those immediately. So unless you're already knowledgeable about the matter at hand, ox weight, I mean anything, but that was just my example here. Then you only, all you have to turn to is human bias, right? You turn to your recency bias, sampling bias, confirmation bias, logical fallacies, et cetera, whatever your flavor of choice is, and many of them together at the same time, because you aren't doing critical thinking, you aren't looking for information, you're just relying on whatever information you have at hand, and that information is basically just bias. And so what's also important too is this might not result in an incorrect answer. In fact, you might be right, and being right will just sort of further reinforce and fuel more bias, but it is also often going to result in incorrect judgment about something. Yeah. And so to quote Dr. Jim Taylor, who's a psychologist and author of the blog, The Power of Prime, this is a quote. The unfortunate reality is that trusting common sense in point of fact causes us to make poor rather than sound judgments, end quote. And he also pointed out that, quote, if common sense was common, then most people wouldn't make the kinds of decisions that they do every day. People wouldn't buy stuff they can't afford. They wouldn't smoke cigarettes or eat junk food. They wouldn't gamble. And if you want to get really specific and timely, politicians wouldn't be tweeting pictures of their private parts to strangers. People wouldn't do the multitude of things that are clearly not good for them, end quote. And I think that the point here is like we see people making terrible decisions all the time because they're leaning on common sense. They're leaning on their biases. Doing so is the recipe for making poor decisions. And I think this is really important too, in the context of looking at like, when we make the argument that common sense is common, like, you know, common sense should be something that everybody has. It's very clear that not everybody has it. So common sense is not so common. Now, I think another thing and another discussion within all this too, is looking at the idea of common sense that's often misconstrued as scientific fact. And so what will happen is people will make decisions and they'll say something or they'll do something that seems like common sense and they'll misconstrue that as something that is a widely accepted fact from the scientific realm. And at the end of the day, common sense and logic do not equate. 
to scientific fact. So let's go ahead and revisit the bear scenario that we talked about, right? You had the idea of playing dead when a bear is approaching you. Now, if a large predator is, quote, bearing down on you, I did that on purpose, <laughs> pun very intended, in threatening your life, your experience or knowledge or just your gut reaction of predators would result in you trying to avoid it. You would want to get away from that situation. You would want to leave that. And most people might have the same experience of common sense. A predator is attacking you. It's putting your life in danger. You want to avoid it. And logically, if you're in danger, you will want to avoid it. So that makes sense. Common sense, logic. I want to get out of those situations. I'm going to do something that I can. It makes perfect sense to run away from the danger. However, some bears running away from them puts you in more danger, while others would be safer to play dead in front of, while still others, you can scream at them and they'll run. But if you come across a polar bear, you have no chance. All right. So what should I do? I'm walking around Tahoe and I run into a black bear. So I don't know if black bears are common in Tahoe. Me neither. However, this is not a geography of bears podcast. So we're just going to talk about the species itself. But it could be. It could be. could be. So you, you make yourself larger in front of a black bear. You face it. You never turn away from it. And you make a lot of noise. So it's like that scene in I Love You, Man, when Jason Siegel, his dog poops on the boardwalk and the guy confronts him and he just goes, ah! And he runs at him and threatens to punch him. You do that to a black bear. Wow. <laughs> That's fantastic. Okay. So let's say, because I'm just going to really try and get the geography wrong at this point, let's say I'm walking around downtown <laughs> London and I walk into a grizzly bear. What should I do? Funny little side note on this. Grizzly bears actually were in downtown London for a little bit because before Shakespeare had theaters, all the theaters were called bear pits or bear baiting arenas, and they would just fight bears. Before real entertainment showed up. That sounds like real entertainment to me, but <laughs> you know, glad that I could be so accidentally correct. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably my favorite like swerve into that. Anyway, if you see a grizzly bear, you don't run from it. You move very slowly and you should actually play dead. And when you play dead, you should lay down on your stomach because your stomach is super vulnerable. Cross your arms over your neck to protect your neck and spread your legs so they can't turn you over very easily. Okay, now let's say that I'm in the middle of the desert in Egypt and I run into a polar bear. <laughs> yeah, I have nothing for that one. Good luck. I mean, polar bears don't scare easily. You shouldn't act like prey, so don't act like a seal or a penguin. Like, it would be kind of funny to see somebody maybe run away from a polar bear, like waddling like a penguin, but maybe don't do that. And hopefully, uh, bear spray, because otherwise, you're probably doomed. Just turn into a kaiju or. Say your final goodbyes. Yeah, I mean, do your Hail Marys, I guess. Yeah. My apologies to anybody who experienced polar bear attack or know someone who has, and that was insensitive to them. We don't, we don't want to be insensitive to that group. Sorry. So I think essentially we've sort of said, you know, with, what there is to say about common sense. This is not something that has a lot of research because it is a construct with little weight behind it. There is more out there. We just didn't dig too hard into it. I think really the the point here was to have a discussion about this because common sense is kind of overrated. There are a few things that's important to understand. First of all, common sense is not a common shared physical property. It's not a, a common thing that you're going to see a lot of. And at the end of the day, it's not actually that common. Like people don't have a common shared knowledge. Yeah. So our suggested definition of common sense might be amended to be the application of behavior based on the outcomes of prior experience to current situations by relying on our biases. So what seems most advantageous to do is rely on our past experiences with similar situations. 
Yeah, and these applications will vary greatly human to human, person to person, because each person's experiences are so varied. We cannot singularly account for a, a shared human experience that is exactly the same across every living individual that has ever graced the planet of Earth. So as we face these new and novel challenges every day, and we're able to apply the characteristics of prior experiences to these situations and behave in a way then, or refrain from repeating a mistake, that maximizes the outcome. I think the recommendation or the suggestion here around dealing, navigating common sense is essentially to treat it as a human bias and to think of it as kind of a logical error in your thinking. And that when you think you have a knee jerk reaction to something that seems logical and like, yeah, that's how that should be. Unless you're coming from a place of sort of expert and really well-informed opinion, you, you might be wrong. It's worth to actually stop and really think about something, really try and break it down and try and find more information. And instead of just saying like, yeah, that's what my bias says. So I'm just going to say that that's right. Yeah, absolutely. Which can be difficult, but it's important to be able to kind of, a friend of mine told me this one time, it's, it's important to, to check your beliefs every now and again to see if they still hold water. And I like that idea of just being able to kind of constantly question yourself and your worldview, because you might find that like maybe part of your worldview is shaped by common sense that you might've had or experience that you had. And, and that may not be right or accurate. Check your common sense at the door. <laughs> yeah. Especially here at this podcast. So yeah, common sense is neither common nor sense and common sense is overrated. Why we do what we do stamp disapprove. That's our essential myth-busting approach to this one. This past few minutes has really been us sort of going over our take-homes here is this idea that we come from a place of different perspectives, which is based on our experiences and that is essentially leaning on human bias. And instead, we recommend that you think critically about situations, acknowledge that when you have a knee-jerk reaction to something, you are coming at it from a position of bias and should spend extra time thinking about it, and that common sense is highly overrated. I've got nothing to add to that. I mean, I think you nailed it. Thanks. Thank you to Kyle Sturry for his wonderful notes and preparation on this episode. I think it was a lot of fun and helpful, and I really enjoyed it, and I'm happy we got this one out of the way. And also, of course, yeah. thank you to Justin and his amazing audio work and making us sound like real people and cutting out the many, many, many mistakes that I made. Uh, likewise, likewise. It's nice because this hour and a half that we've been recording <laughs> can easily be turned into 40 minutes of actual usable content. We haven't been recording for an hour and a half, but Justin's great. Yeah, it's usually much, much shorter by the time it gets out of his very capable hands. Shall we transition to some recommendations? Let's do it. Recommendations. Okay, I am making a recommendation coming from my position of bias here. <laughs> for real, though, I recommend Impossible Burger. Mm -hmm. And so you can check out more at impossiblefoods.com. There's so much about this that I just really like. And I actually, we used impossible burger meat, I guess, whatever it is to make a vegetarian beef Wellington for a Thanksgiving dinner that we did in our very, very, very small group that gathered that was just really close family. Mm -hmm. And actually we still wore masks the whole time and kept our distance. We were like one person's on one side of the house and the other was on the other and we sort of <laughs> yelled across the rooms. Anyway, the impossible burger, it tastes so good and it's getting, it's actually coming down in price and it is available in so many places and there's different ways that you can get it. 
And it's just, I love it so much. I think it's, it's really, really good. And I really highly recommend it. Even for those of you who are not vegetarian leaning, I think there's something to enjoy in this and it's worth giving it a try. And even people that I know who've tried previous iterations of this, cause I think they revamped the recipe a little bit mm-hmm. said to them, it basically tasted exactly like ground beef, albeit a little bit less fatty than you'd expect from ground beef. Yeah. And so I think the flavor is great. Yeah, I would 100% back this recommendation. When I first got in the Possible Burger, I was in Gainesville with some some colleagues of mine, and it blew my mind to the point that I was, because I've been vegetarian for a few years now, and stopped and I was like, are you sure this is impossible? Are you sure this is a Possible Burger? Like, I was really concerned for a second because I thought that I had eaten something like red meat, which I hadn't eaten in probably like eight years. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I definitely had the experience. It's like, don't lie to me now. <laughs> you're right. You're don't right. charge me for an impossible burger. Then you're giving me real burger. Yeah. I'm going to be so mad. So my recommendation is a single person, but looking at his artistic output and that person is Dave Grohl. If you're not familiar with Dave Grohl, he is the singer of the Foo Fighters and also known as the drummer of Nirvana. Those are his two giant musical endeavors. However, this man is uh, an insane, uh, insanely talented musician, not just a talented drummer and a talented musician. Right now, I'm reading a book called This is a Call, and it's The Life and Times of Dave Grohl, but it does this really cool breakdown of Dave Grohl's life in punk and hardcore and kind of going into Nirvana and all that. And everybody that talks about him just talks about how he was just this monster drummer when he was like 14, 15, 16 years old. Like he just was like, like people would go see his band just to watch him. A lot of people don't know this, but he's done a lot of work outside of the Foo Fighters and Nirvana. Like he worked with a band called Them Crooked Vultures. He worked with Queens of the Stone Age. He recorded drum tracks on Nine Inch Nails with Teeth, that record. He does so much stuff. The guy is such a prolific musician and just funny and fun and humble. And just, I just, I just, Dave Grohl is one of my heroes. I just really appreciate this dude. So just go look at everything he does. Is the recommendation to be Dave Grohl? The recommendation would be to be Dave Grohl if you could be, or at least live your life like Dave Grohl. Okay. Also, I'm going to tack on, this has never been done before, so I'm setting, I'm I'm breaking all historical precedent, but I'm going to tack on my own little recommendation to your recommendation, which is the drum battle that Dave Grohl got into with that little British girl who's like 11. I think she was British. Yes. And it is the most fun thing to watch ever because she is amazing. And yeah, their drum battle really good. was so fun to watch. Yeah, it really is incredible. It's a lot of fun to watch. They do go back and forth. She even dresses like him at one point in time. I did not see that part, but that's awesome. Yeah. Very fun. Did she get a beard and everything? She didn't get a beard, but she did wear a flannel. Oh, okay. Much like yeah. you. You're trying to be Dave Grohl. I am trying to be. I look like Dave Grohl right now. For those of you who can't see me, my hair is about as long as his. I have a beard. I'm wearing a flannel and I've been listening to Nirvana for hours and hours and hours. Secretly, I've been recording with Dave Grohl this whole time. I never even noticed. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. I love it. All right. I think that that's all we got on Common Sense and Dave Grohl. So if you have common sense or would like to share your opinions about it, we'd love to hear about that from you. If you have other plant-based meats or you want to comment on your experience with Impossible Burger, I would probably be willing to share that. And if you have uh, some affinity for Dave Grohl or other members of the Foo Fighters that you'd love to talk about, then please let us know and hit us up on social media or email us at info at www.podcast.com. We really like hearing from people, so please reach out to us with any and all thoughts that you have. Of course, if you'd like to support the show, leave us a rating and review. Tell your friends and uh, subscribe and join us on Patreon if you'd like to. And I think that is it. You have anything else, Shane? Nope, that's it. All right, this is Abraham. And this is Shane. We are out. See ya. 
You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by our amazing patrons. Thank you. If you like what you heard, consider becoming a patron by heading to patreon.com slash podcast. You can also rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts or share this episode with your friends. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at podcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.podcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is researched and produced by Abraham, Ryan O, Shane, and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brassier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day. Right. And so then what will happen is you have people who are, have <laughs> people who have a hair in their mouth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know how that even got there. Oh, oh, what, what a, what a strange world we live in. 2021 is so strange. Yeah.